With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, A's beat writer Susan Slesser, and today we welcome two members of the coaching staff. First, former A's outfielder Mark Kotze, who explains what a quality coach does, and then new first base coach Al Padrique, who's a former teammate of Billy Beans. Then reliever Ryan Bookter joins us to talk about the hectic life of a baseball family with a very young child. And finally, John Shea joins us for his weekly segment, Shea Plus, and we will talk about some of the current issues in baseball, including new A's nemesis, Shohei Otani. We are joined on today's A's Plus by former A's outfielder and current quality control coach, Mark Kotze, uh, long a favorite of the Bay Area media. First of all, Mark, what can you tell us about being quality control coach? What goes into your job? Well, I think it's a title that uh, was given to me uh, to fulfill a role that they felt uh, there was value in having me around the ball club, uh, my relationships with some of the younger players coming up, a uh, part of this ball club. And then, obviously, uh, my relationship with Bob and the staff, being a part of the staff for the last uh, year and a half uh, as bench coach and then stepping back away from bench coach last year, um, but still being engaged in in the organization and with the team. So what sorts of things do you do? Are there specific uh, responsibilities you have? No real specific uh, responsibilities. Um, Obviously, you know, being in and out of the ball club on a daily basis gives me a little bit of a different perspective from the outside looking in. Uh, and then when I'm engaged uh, in the environment on a daily basis, it's continue to foster the relationships, um, help from uh, the capacity on the mental side with the players and, uh, and the coaching staffs, uh, you know, giving my outside opinion, uh, I think there's value to that as well. So are you sort of looking for things to, to weigh in on? If you spot something, do you go tell a player? Do you go tell a number, member of the coaching staff? Sort of what's, what's the uh, routine for you when you, you notice maybe something you feel like you can help with? I think there's a balance to it. I think, uh, you know, Bob's been great with me, uh, being very inclusive, uh, allowing me to have some uh, freedom. But I think first and foremost, the, the daily discussion happens with Bob first. Um, you know, get his thoughts. Uh, his mindset on, on you know, what they're trying to get accomplished with each, each individual player, and then being able to help relay that message. Um, you know, if there is something that I see on an individual basis, uh, I may touch them, um, but more than likely I'll bring it to Bob's attention and, uh, and we'll develop a plan together to, uh, to send a message that's needed or uh, maybe to not send that message. Now you touched on leaving the team last year. Your daughter obviously had an a injury to her eye. What can you tell us about, about that incident and how's she doing now? Well, I can tell you that uh, she's made almost a full recovery, uh, which is God's blessings. Uh, we actually just went to uh, her eye, eye doctor up in LA and uh, her exam today came back great, better than expected. So um, that being said, uh, you know, we continue to uh, 
monitor her eye because there can be um, blood vessel growth that can have an impact on her. But for the most part, uh, she's doing great. She's a normal 12-year-old and playing volleyball, and uh, we're all thrilled and excited about that. She, she was struck by a tennis ball, is that right? She was. She was. It was a freak accident. Um, you know, accidents happen, but uh, at the time, it was uh, the severity was that uh, the diagnosis was she would lose her vision in her eye. And uh, that being said, as a parent, you come home and take care of those responsibilities and uh, see it through to the end. So um, it's changed my role here in the organization, but uh, I'm very happy with still being a part of this uh, organization and, and being a part of Bob's staff on a limited basis. Yeah, you get to sort of pick your spots, right, where you are with the team and then when you're spending time at home. I do, but there are also uh, situations that I'll be asked to go uh, and, and evaluate possibly at the AAA level and go be a part of that uh, group, um, not not regularly, but uh, and when needed. And you know, I think there's there's a couple different things um, throughout the course of the year I may be asked to do. Um, but yes, there is a balance to uh, to my life in the sense that uh, I am able to get away and, and spend time with the family. In this sport, that's really amazing. Um, now, you, you've, you're known for always being one of the great leaders in, in baseball when you're a player, and, and also when you've been on a coaching staff. Do you feel, uh, in your current role, do you feel, still feel like you can be sort of a leader in the clubhouse? I know when you were serving as bench coach, you were around a lot, kind of mentoring a lot of players. Are you still trying to do those kinds of things? I still believe I can mentor. I don't think the leadership role is is, uh, is impactful when you're not in the dugout or in the uh, environment on a daily basis. So uh, mentoring and being a part of, of their progress is something I enjoy, uh, something I do think there's value in, uh, but also uh, not being overbearing, not being uh, someone that comes in and, and tries to establish a presence by any means. Uh, we've talked many times over the years about your potential as a manager. I think everybody in baseball who knows you has considered put you on sort of a short list as a possible future manager. Is that still something that you, you think you would like to do? I think I still aspire to do that. I think uh, the guidance that Bob's given me over the last uh, now th going into three years of a relationship has been great. Um, I think that the timing is everything in life and uh, opportunity as well. So um, when and if that opportunity arises, we'll look at it and uh, as a family make a decision how we go forward. You've played for a number of managers. You've worked under several managers. What do you try to take from all the different managers that you've played for or worked for when you when you think about sort of the things that you might do in the future? <laughs> well, as you know, the game is changing, but I think uh, there's more responsibility as leaders and coaches now than there ever has been to, uh, to be able to relate, to be able to communicate the message. Players now want reasons why, as opposed to when I was with Jim Leland or Bruce Bochy as a player, uh, if they told you to run through a wall, you didn't ask why. So the game has changed in that sense, but uh, people really haven't. I think you just need to connect and have that personal relationship with each individual. Uh, that's a strength, I think, that I have, and uh, I, I watch Bob on a daily basis. It's a strength that Bob has. Uh, this is his 14th season as a manager. He's got over a thousand wins in the major leagues, and uh, that's a credit to to his ability to be adaptive and, and uh, understand what players need. You were such a pros pro as a player, and I know our, our good mutual friend Jason Kendall was always that kind of you know very pros pro kind of guy. Uh, he talks sometimes about the game changing, the players changing a little bit. What's your view of the modern day player and kind of the their uh, the, the attitudes in the clubhouse and, and as on the field and as players? You know, I think we get salted a little bit as players <laughs> the longer we're in the game and uh, our expectation level. Uh, 
uh, of what we perceive as tough is different than what is actually tough. These guys go out every day. It's a grind. It's a, it's a grueling season. And uh, I think they put more demand on themselves physically than we did. They uh, continue to work out aggressively uh, on and off the field. They, they spend seems to be more time with baseball and the thought process of baseball. So, um, you know, the modern player, they care. They care just like we did, and uh, they don't want to fail. Uh, this group we, here, we have here, um, a young group, a talented group, uh, one that I believe has a, a lot of strength and yet a lot of room to grow, and it, it's fun to be around these young kids. I was going to ask you about this year's team and your assessment of them, especially the young guys. You've seen, you know, Chapman, Olson, Barreto, Pinder, guys like that now for a couple of years. What do you think of um, certainly this season and then moving beyond this season for that group? I think that we've we've somewhat built in a level of expectation um, because the, the the limited amount of success they had at the end of last year. There's going to be growing pains. I remember my first two or three years in the major leagues. I was. Uh, around a solid group of veterans initially, and then around a group of youngsters uh, all together. And we had our growing pains. Uh, this is in Florida. This is in Florida in 1998. They traded away the vast majority of, of, of the team that won the World Series. And uh, we had uh, a season of 54 wins and 108 losses. So um, by no means do I think the Oakland Athletics are gonna end up there. Uh, there's more talent here in this room, and, and they did have some success. And once you taste success, uh, the drive is there, and you understand what it takes to, to, to win at this level, and, and these guys do. Um, and, and I think that uh, success will come quick. Now, every time the A's have a player who comes in from another league um, and is brand new and gets off to a little bit of a struggle, I always think of you because when you got traded over, you had a rough first month or two. Do you, uh, do you see that happening with guys like Piscotti and in, in previous years? You know, Chris Davis got off to a little bit of a rough start when he first arrived. How, how common is that, and is, is it really just moving leagues? I think it's more of a level of expectation when you get traded. You want to do so well, and you put a, lot, a high amount of pressure on yourself to succeed quickly and, and get off to a good start. And so... I think they'll, they'll all be fine. They just need to get on the ground and, and uh, understand that uh, result, it's a result-based industry, but um, go out and compete, and, and at the end of the year, your numbers will be, be there. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us, Mark Katze. Thanks for having me. Welcome to A's Plus. Our guest today is Al Padrique, the A's new first base coach who is entering his 41st season in professional baseball after signing with the Mets in 1978. Al, uh, first of all, tell us how your A's experience has been since you you've, uh, came on board in spring. Well, it's been great. Uh, new organization, uh, definitely you're trying to do the best you can to get to know everybody, the manager, the staff, uh, the players. But I think since spring training, um, I can tell this is a bunch of uh, good group, easy going, hard worker, uh, easy people to work with, very knowledgeable of the game, a lot of experience on the coaching staff. So myself, I'm, I'm very happy uh, to be here. I'm sure, you know, I'm still learning about baseball and I'm sure we're going to have, you know, a good year. Now, as the first base coach, you're also an infield coach. What, what are your duties like, sort of on a daily basis? What, what do you do, especially pre-game? Uh, yes, uh, work with infielders. I'm doing it together with Matt Williams. Uh, he's been working with the corner guys, third baseman, first baseman, and I work with the middle guys, shortstop, second baseman. So, you know, right from spring training, uh, we had a plan. 
and it was to make sure that the guys will get enough work, uh, stay with the routine. Again, being the you know new guy in the organization and trying to understand where they're coming from, uh, what type of the routine they have on a daily basis, and Matt Williams being a, a plus uh, help uh, with, for the guy that have played the game for so long, uh, definitely picking his brains up and I using it on the field to help uh, the shortstop of the second baseman in, in this organization. Now, as a first base coach, what are the most important elements for you? What are maybe things that um, a general fan might not know that a first base coach is responsible for and has to look out for? Uh, yes, my job is to pay attention to detail, whether it's a base running, uh, whether it's a situation where the guy can go from first to third, remind them different situations that might happen. Uh, my job is to find out what the other pitchers are trying to do as far goes holding a runners close to first base not letting them get good jump uh, also my job is to know the time from you know to the mound to the plate and i let the runners know who's quick who's slow and depending on the situation uh, i talked to bob you know melvin about it and he always you know have everybody with a green light and from there uh, my job is to make sure they understand the situation where they should run or should not be running now, you came from the Yankees organization. You spent five years with the Yankees. Um, the A's obviously made a very big trade last summer that brought over three players from the Yankees system who you know is it's almost like you came over with them. What was it like for you to get to uh, spring training and there's Dustin Fowler is there and Jorge Mateo is there. Obviously, James Caprillion is now in the system recovering from Tommy John surgery. Kind of nice to see those guys. And it, does it help having background with them? Oh, definitely. I had a great feeling uh, when I knew I was coming to spring training with the A's. I knew that Fowler and Mateo were going to be in big league game. I had Fowler last year, uh, most of the time in AAA. Mateo had a few games during spring training with the Yankees but uh, knowing them uh, where they're coming from and they also know my type my type of you know uh, routine or work ethic that I have uh, is also robbing of them uh, we work real well uh, with the Yankees organization so I, I think what I know about these guys I help the Oakland organization a little bit giving them my feedback about both players and then we're hoping that both will be up here uh, pretty soon yeah do you see them both as future big leaguers how would you describe them as as prospects I mean, they're pretty pretty blue-chip guys. Uh, definitely with Fowler, I think he can play in center field every day. And this is a kid that can hit for average. Uh, he will surprise you with his power. Uh, runs real well, very smart base running, got some speed. He will steal a lot of bases. And defensively, he's gotten so much better with his routes, jumps, throwing the ball to the right base. Uh, Mateo is the type of guy that a lot of people talk about moving to second base, put him in center field. But I think he's uh, capable and smart enough, and his instincts are good where he can play short every day. Uh, one thing that he had learned is how to slow the game down. It was a big issue when he was with the Yankees. He, uh, the kid that has a lot of speed, he always goes 100 miles per hour so that was the key for him to understand that he needs to uh, slow the game down be under control and he showed that uh, during spin training this year now I have to ask you since you work with the middle infielders about your fellow Venezuelan Franklin Barreto what's he been like to work work with and how would you describe him as a player what do you think uh, he's been fun he's been great this is the first time I'm working with him 
Uh, the kid that can play short and second. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, full work, uh, quickness uh, with reaction, uh, especially a short stop. Arm strength, I think he's going to get stronger, but this kid, with the type of swing that he has and the power, uh, he can do some damage offensively. Uh, very smart hitter, uh, loves to play the game, plays hard, so we're hoping that this kid gets a chance to play pretty soon because that's another guy we follow, Mateo, uh, also in Chapman. That's a bright feature for the organization. Now, I think everybody thought when you were in New York, you'd been with the system so, so long, and you I know you were the International League Manager of the Year in 2016, had a great team and all, a lot of players that I think people would be familiar with, Judge and Sanchez, guys like that. Um, I think there was a lot of talk that you might wind up managing the Yankees this year. How, what, did you get a sense of what happened? They didn't They didn't interview you, correct? That was. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I thought I would get, at least get a phone call and get invited in the, in the process, but it didn't happen. Uh, guy has a plan and it happened for a reason uh, and I was hoping also that if I didn't get invited for, uh, for the managing job to interview at least to uh, get interviewed for the third base coaching job first base coaching job but again it happened for a reason I happened I'm back on the big lead uh, with Oakland and I'm, I'm going to do the best I can to help them uh, win a lot of games now you played with Billy Bean as a player what what was what do you remember about Billy Bean as a player I tell you, he was a great teammate. He played hard, a guy with a lot of tools. He put for power, great arm uh, from right field. He plays on center field, too. We had some good years in the Manolis system with the Mets. I think it was a double and triple A, uh, both, uh, one both championship, if I'm not mistaken, together. So, again, he was a great teammate, a lot of talent, and I'm glad I'm, I'm back working with him. Did, for him. <laughs> did you... Did you kind of follow what he was doing from afar, like especially during all the money ball stuff and like that, and he kind of turned into this big name executive? Did you kind of think like, wow, B- Billy B, that's a, that's amazing? Well, it didn't surprise me because back then in the minor league days, you can tell that he was going to end it up with a job like that. He, he was always showed sign of being very, very smart, ahead of the game mentally. So everybody talked in the clubhouse and teased him that he won't stay in the game as a coach, that he will be in the front office. And we always told him, don't forget about your friends. That's perfect. Uh, That's great. That's a great way to finish things off. Al Padrique, thanks so much for joining us on A's Plus. No, thank you for having me. We welcome reliever Ryan Bookter into A's Plus for our Players' Choice segment. I went to Ryan and asked him about what he's been watching or listening to. And because Ryan has a 14-month-old baby, Ella, um, he has not been able to really do too much. No golfing and, and no other stuff. So we decided let's talk about Ella and what, and what, she looks, what she's like. Um, it sounds like maybe you guys aren't getting a lot of sleep lately. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough, especially we they flew from the East Coast to the West Coast and then new apartment and then hotel here on the road. Uh, it's kind of sacrifices we have to make. You know, I want to spend time with, you know, my baby and my wife. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of what you pay for when you when you move a baby around, especially across country. Yeah. What what's she like as a as a baby? What's her personality like? She's always happy. Uh, she's a very very happy baby, and she's starting to explore right now. So she points at the apartment door, the hotel door, and wants to go walk the hallways, push the elevator buttons, uh, chase the ducks. You name it. We we've done it all. My wife took her to uh, Disney yesterday and, and let her walk around there as much as she could. So it's uh, it's really interesting seeing the world through kind of with her eyes and everything new. It's 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 awesome. 
I think um, sometimes people in the general public forget that you guys have sort of normal lives outside baseball too and that you deal with the same sort of things that everybody does. So how is it sort of trying to juggle being a professional athlete with having a, you know, a very young child at home? I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it's put on our wives to, to to be, you know, obviously the mother. But we're going the majority of the day. I mean, at home we leave around 12:31, and I I won't get home until 12, 11:30, 12. So we're gone most of the day, and uh, so my wife is the one doing pretty much everything. So you know, we we lean on our our wives a lot uh, from that standpoint but uh, having that morning time with with your daughter or son and spending time with my wife is what I cherish right now the most. Um, how, how different are things from you since say like two years ago you know in terms of scheduling and trying to you're laughing uh, trying to like get where you need to be and get them you know that all the moving aspect that that's all winds up being like really tough yeah everything's now a uh, big commotion you know, we want to go out to eat we have to go out to eat and pick up the right restaurant you know so we can fit the stroller and, and she can we have to be kind of off to the side because she is in the phase where she likes to throw things right now especially food and thinks it's hilarious so uh yeah we we end up you know getting takeout a lot just because we don't want to we just we don't want to stretch ourselves too thin with the lack of sleep, especially on my wife's behalf. I mean, in the morning, like the other morning, she wakes up and takes her takes her out for a walk, so I can sleep in a little bit. So that's very nice. Now, does um, do you FaceTime with her and stuff when you're gone? Yeah, that was spring training, so they weren't with us in spring. They weren't with me in spring training. So uh, every day, probably 15 times a day, FaceTime. Uh, it got to the point where my daughter picks up the remote or picks up anything and puts it to her ear and says hello. Yeah, so it's, she loves it and she does it with our niece and nephew and everybody back home, cousins and she, mom and dad, or my mom and dad, her mom, uh, my wife's mom and dad. She, she now knows FaceTime is the way to communicate with the family. Oh, that is so cute. Um, does she sort of understand uh, what you do? Does she watch you on TV at all when the games are on? Does she get kind of get what it, what's going on? Uh, I think last night was the first night uh, they were at the hotel and uh, they zoomed in on my face and she noticed for the first time uh, that it was me. But then she didn't. She doesn't understand that I'm gone. So, like after my inning was done, there was somebody else. She was looking for me still. Uh, yeah, but it's. I mean, it, it, my wife said it was awesome seeing her. Uh, just look at the TV and point and, and say dada or whatever she mumbles. So sweet. Well, thank you for joining us. That's a really interesting look into the, the life of a, a baseball family. Thank you very much. We welcome John Shea to Ace Plus for his weekly segment, The Chronicle's National Baseball Writer. John, um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about Sean Manaya, who has gotten off to the best start of all the A's starters, but even he uh, has struggled to get wins, partly with uh, no offensive support recently. Um, but um, he against the Dodgers, he gives up two quick homers, and, and that's pretty much it. What have your thoughts been on Sean so far this year? Well, he's right when he talks about he's a changed man mentally and emotionally and and all the areas that don't have anything to do with mechanics or uh, velocity or any of that stuff. I think everything between his ears has grown a lot. Uh, I don't mean physically like Bruce Bochy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's talked about this and he's he's made 
a big change in his career because uh, the two home runs in that Dodger game, and it looked like he grooved those pitches. The second one, he said he thought it was a good pitch, but still it seemed right in his wheelhouse. Fastball's right there. I think last year he just would not have recovered. And I, I covered the game the other day, his second game, when he actually said that he's no longer caving in and he's not freaking out, uh, he's not panicking. And those are things he admit, admitted doing when times got tough last year, which is odd for a major leaguer to confess. But he did, and, you know, that's that's most of the battle, actually facing it head on and dealing with it. And now, in his words, he just puts my foot down and gets out of the inning. So it sounds like he's a little emotionally tougher than he was last year, admittedly so. And that's been a big difference because I don't think he would have lasted more than an inning or two last year if he gave up home runs to the first two guys like he did against the Dodgers. I, I agree with you. And one of the things that he has talked a lot about is pitching with conviction. Um, and it, it it really does seem as if he's doing, you know, the confidence level is so high. When Dave Stewart was in big league spring training, you know, he, he talked to the, the A starters about pitching with an edge. Obviously, Dave's so known for being fierce, ferocious on the mound. He says you can't really teach that. He talked to them about it. And afterwards, Manaya, he said it's sort of what you're talking about. It's unusual for a big leaguer to admit something like this. But he said, yeah, I need to pitch with more of an edge like that, like Dave Stewart. I need more of an edge. I don't have an any. I don't pitch with an edge. So um, I think we're seeing that now. He's got some edge. And a, a guy with that kind of talent, if he is throwing with confidence, conviction, and a little bit of an edge, uh, it, he could have a, put together a really nice season. Now, um, you have seen quite a lot of Trace Thompson in the last couple of years with, uh, since he was playing for the Dodgers, and, and you do a lot of Giants coverage. Uh, what's your impression of Trace Thompson coming to the A's? What can A's fans expect? What do you think might be in the future for him, or, or will he be with the A's for very long at all? Well, I hope so. Uh, I, I, you know, you always root for good stories, and this is a heck of a story. You know, it comes from a great background, a athletic family, obviously. The mother, Mike, uh, the the father, Michael. You know, with the Showtime Lakers. His mom actually played volleyball at USF. Uh, you know, great great athlete in her own right. And obviously, the three brothers, two basketball playing brothers, Michael and Clay. Michael, the oldest, uh, the oldest, you know, playing with the Cavaliers uh, back in the day, and you know, Clay, an All Star, maybe, maybe future Hall of Famer. But I, I did a story a couple of years back and spoke with the mother, and she talked about how the three kids, and, and and this is not a family that was was sports or else, and there was like nothing else. I mean, these parents did not push them by all accounts. None of the kids say they ever pushed us into basketball or baseball, or they weren't that family that, you know, as we all know, some Little League parents can just be over the top, and that's really not good for the kids. But I think... These, these kids were raised right, and nothing was forced upon them. And Trace, unlike the other two brothers, was always about baseball. You know, when he had the ro remote as a kid, it, it, the baseball games would be on. The mom told me he slept with his uh, back, you know, even even well into his teens. He loved the game that much. And it's a cool story because, obviously, both right there, the Coliseum and the arena right next door, neighboring facilities, and... Uh, uh, it, yeah, it's it's something you root for, but w how long will it go on? Well, I mean, they're out a couple outfielders with Powell and Pinder, and 
you know, I guess, I guess Fowler is in the wings, but uh, Thompson has proven he had that real good year with the Dodgers a couple of years ago. He was hitting in the middle of the lineup, showed some power. And I remember talking to Bob Melvin a few years ago when he first saw the guy uh, as a White Sox prospect. He loved his arm and he loved his outfield presence. Uh, could pretty much play anywhere out there. So I think he could be a valuable power bat if he stays healthy and, and finds any kind of groove. Yeah. I'm not convinced it's going to be with Oakland, um, especially with the, hmm. the A's needing a fifth starter. They've got four right-handed hitting outfielders right now. They love Smolinski. Now, Smolinski has not been doing a lot offensively, but they they really have been committed to him over the years. Obviously, Piscotti's starting in right. Uh, and they've got Mark Canna up, who also can play first base. So... I'm not sure if if Thompson winds up sticking beyond April 17th, but uh, well, darn. you, know, you got to kind of you kind of you're right. You kind of got to root for him. I, you, I think Ace fans would really certainly take to Clay's brother. That's for sure. And he wants to be here. He's very very enthusiastic about playing for the A's. So um, it's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, now I had a piece this week about um, we we talked so much you and I about Matt Chapman's defense at third. Mm-hmm. I had a piece about Matt Olson's defense at first base have you had uh sort of gotten to see enough of matt olson's defense at first to to sort of talk about what he does there yeah i enjoyed that story a couple of takeaways actually uh, uh maybe i'm just not aware but olson says he likes to throw low if anything he'd rather scoop them than reach for them high i mean this is, this is a guy who's six five you know one of the tallest and most athletic first baseman around and he said he said he liked to throw you know chapman throws 190 miles an hour and he just scoops them like they're they're nothing i mean we look at this stuff every day and it just amazes me how easily they make things look that for anybody else is just like an impossible dream but uh, the way he scoops the ball he, he made a, a like a no look flip in the uh, to the pitcher covering late in the uh, first dodger game here and I, I said, oh, my goodness, you just don't see that. I mean, he's running away from the, the base, and he, like, backflips it, like, without even looking to the pitcher for an easy out. And I said, that's that's a pretty good athlete right there. And and another, another thing I was thinking when I read that story was, you know how most teams want to be strong up the middle? Well, the Coliseum, you know, with, with the way it plays and the vast uh, foul territory, it's almost more important to have – you know, better athletes at the uh, at the corners, uh, better defenders at the corners, which the A's do with Chapman and Olsen, because there's so much room to run around and catch pop-ups and dive into the tarp, and uh, and, and you see these guys. It, it's going to be fun to watch over time as these guys mature and develop. I mean, they're, they're already plus defenders, and you figure one, if not both, could be, you know, finalists in, in gold, gold glove uh, balloting. Yeah, and we, you know, we we talk so much about Chapman's defense. He got off to a hot start with the bat, and then we talk so much about Olson's offense. You know, he's got at 40, 40 homer power. Certainly, who knows yeah. what his his final tally winds up being? But uh, he he's also got a real slick glove. Really, really fun to see. Um, now the A's have probably seen far too much of Shohei Otani to <laughs> to this point. I think they would prefer not to see him for quite some time. You had an interesting piece um, comparing Shohei Otani and his start to Tim Lincecum. Uh, how did you sort of reach that conclusion? Because that's not the obvious one, I don't think. I don't, I'm not sure anybody would would automatically say, "Hmm, Otani and Lincecum." Yeah, yeah. One's six four, and one's about five four, right? Uh, 
it's it's um, just watching all the punch outs in that second start in Anaheim against the A's and the way the batters just swung and missed badly and walked back to the dugout with their head down and saying, what did, what just happened? And it, it, it's just the way the batters reacted to the pitchers that made me reminisce about Lincecum back when he showed up in 08 and 09 and won the gold gloves, uh, the, the uh, Cy Young Awards, rather, and in, in 10 when the Giants won their first championship and, and Lincecum was the ace of that team. And the way he made batters look is, is like Otani is making batters look. And the difference is, you know, aside from the fact that one's much bigger than the other, and Otani obviously has better velocities. He's, he's touching 100, and Lincecum, when he showed up, was more mid-90s, 96 maybe. And uh, obviously Otani's a little better hitter. <laughs> but... What what the difference is, I think, but it's 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 really a, a similar you know similar thing is 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 the out pitch for both. I mean, Lincecum had that devastating changeup, which was almost like a split because he threw it so hard, and it sometimes had the same you know action of a of of a of a split, but it was actually a changeup that he would throw in the mid '80s. Well, you know, along comes Otani, who throws this split-fingered fastball and just like Lincecum there's about a 10 mile per hour differential between the fastball and the change. Otani has the same with the fastball and the split 100 miles an hour or high 90s versus high 80s with the split you know and that's a perfect uh, differential to to confuse any batter when you're expecting a fastball and then suddenly it just falls off the table and and you, you miss by you know six or eight inches so you know, I, I spoke with the scout, and um, you know, I, I said, I "said Am I off base on this?" And he said, "No, you know, that, that, it's accurate to say, especially with those two pitches." And you know, he talked about uh, how uh, you know, real strong, um, you know, delivery, and you know, just fooling the batter, uh, uh, kind of in the same way as it's as Lincecum. And this scout was at that Sunday game, and this scout told me that's the best split-fingered fastball he's ever seen. And this scout is not in his 20s or 30s, so he's been around, and, and it, it's it's pretty amazing to hear stories of, from people who've been around the game their whole life saying they've just never seen anything like this. And those are the same kinds of things we heard when, when Lincecum came up. And obviously Lincecum now trying to make a comeback with the Rangers isn't nearly what he was. He's a reliever. It's not the same velocity. He's just trying to stay healthy. But back then, I mean, there was just nobody in the game. Nobody saw anything like it in these batters and the fans alike. They they would look at Lincecum and say, I, I just never seen anything like this before. And that's what they're saying about Otani now. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, John, thank you as always for joining us on A's Plus. And we will talk again next week about all things pertaining to the A's and Major League Baseball. You bet, Susan. Thanks a lot. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.